0: Welcome to the Boss Ladies Podcast. I'm Olivia Wary, and as a young female working in the industry of technology, I'm constantly struggling to find my voice and overcome challenges thrown my way. I've decided to have conversations with Boss Ladies in every industry to hear how they do it. Boss Ladies is intended to inspire women and men of all ages to overcome their fears, explore moonshot thinking, speak up for who they are and what they believe in, and move up in their respective industries. Every day we are faced with challenges, so it is my intention to empower you to get the advice you need by interviewing top executives who have been through it all. On today's episode of Boss Ladies, please welcome Amanda Sobe. Amanda is a professional squash player. Currently number one in the nation and 13 on the professional world tour with a career high ranking of number six, Amanda is a four-time U.S. Women's National Champion and winner of 15 professional world tour titles. In 2015, Amanda graduated from Harvard, where she played four years on the Harvard squash team. While on the team, she won the individual national title all four years and the team national title three times, graduating with an undefeated record of 62-0, having lost only two games throughout her time at Harvard. Amanda is a three-time Pan American gold medalist, having won a gold medal in the individual, doubles, and team event in the 2015 Pan American Games and the 2018 Pan American Federation Cup. In March of 2017, Amanda ruptured her Achilles heel and was out for 10 months. In 2018, she returned to the professional tour and has worked her way back up in the rankings since. Currently, again, ranked number 13 on the professional world tour. Welcome today, Amanda. I am so excited to have you today. So why don't you start by just telling me a little bit about yourself?
1: All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate the fact that like you thought of me as a boss lady um, for your podcast. Mm -hmm. But anyways, I'm from Seacliff, New York, which is out in Long Island. But I currently live in Boston, Massachusetts, where I'm a professional squash player. I went to school in I went to a public high school on Long Island called North Shore High School and then got recruited to play in college at Harvard University where I played there I played squash there for all four years. And when I graduated I went full time on the pro tour and currently that's that's the day and night job.
0: (laughs) That sounds awesome. Yeah. So as a professional squash player slash just a professional athlete in general, you know, I'm curious to hear what's your typical day to day routine like?
1: Yeah, so the day to day I'll it's kind of like my own nine to five job a bit. I'll wake up, I'll have breakfast, and that's I work at the nutritionist, so pretty much like breakfast is or my meals are calculated and I'll know in beforehand kind of what I'm eating or how much I'm eating and whether I'm trying to go more heavy on the carbs or lower end on the carbs. And so I'll have breakfast as either oatmeal if I'm higher up on the carbs, or if it's lower, I'll have a piece of toast with eggs and some berries. And then I'll stretch, I'll get ready for my first session in the day, which is usually in the mornings. I'll either have Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'll work with my coach, Thierry Linku at MIT, who's the head coach at, um, he's the head coach there at MIT. Awesome. So I'll work with him Monday, Wednesday, Friday from 1030 to 12. And then Tuesday, Thursday morning, I'll work with my fitness coach, Michael Logan, who's also in Boston, and will train from nine 30 to 11. So yeah, the mornings are usually with my coaches. And I'll get there early to warm up. Maybe I'll hit by myself, I need at least like half an hour to warm up. And then training sessions will vary whether it's tailored to what we're working on, whether it's a harder day figuring seeing how my body feels that day as well. So it'll be a combination between technical or physical. Uh, more explosive or strength-related in terms of fitness. So after my first session, that will end around 12, 12.30. I'll come back home. I'll have lunch. I'll do some emails during that time. I'll see if I have tournaments coming up. Maybe that's the time usually to book flights or if I need any meetings. I try, try and schedule all of that between like 1 to 3.00 when I actually have my downtime, and then probably around 3.30 to 5, I'll do my second session, which is more or less squash. It's depending on what I did in the morning, it's either squash or could be a fitness session. So I'll play either match play in the afternoon, condition games with someone. I'll go to Harvard and play with the Harvard men's team or my sister there. Or in the afternoon, if I had a good squash session in the morning, maybe the afternoon, I'll do a fitness session and some solo, which is just hitting by myself. So that will usually be an hour and a half. And I take half an hour to warm up as well. And afterwards, I'll take another like half an hour, 40 minutes to cool down. And Mm -hmm. so sessions, even though the work might be like an hour 15 between the warm up and the cool down, you're adding another... 30, 40 minutes on each end. So it kind of adds up. And afterwards, I'll come back home. I'll be really exhausted. I'll cook myself dinner. And then I'll pretty much just recover and just sit on the couch and not move (laughs) because I'm so tired. (laughs) Yeah, and then I'll try and go to bed around 11 and get maybe eight and a half hours of sleep if I can. Yeah.
0: That's awesome and sounds like quite the week. So, is you said, I think you said you're you have a rest day or
1: I do. So, yeah, I'll train twice a day Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Wednesday, I'll just mm-hmm. train in the morning because Monday, Tuesday is pretty hard. And by Wednesday, I'm feeling it. So, Wednesday yeah. morning, I'll just have a squash session with Thierry, and then the afternoon is my active recovery. So, I'll do either yoga, I'll g- get a massage, I'll see the physio. Or I'll do some Pilates, something that's just active recovery. It's not where I'm a couch potato and just (laughs) kind of not doing anything. It's still doing something to help just freshen me up so I can push Thursday, Friday and Saturday morning tough sessions. And then from Saturday afternoon to Sunday is rest. Sunday is my couch potato day.
0: (laughs) You got to have one of those. You got to have
1: one. (laughs) You, You need that me time.
0: Definitely. So you said you play sometimes with the Harvard men, and I'm sure you've played a lot of men in your career and probably kicked some of their butts. So (laughs) you know, as a female, did you ever hear any snide comments after beating men or were there ever any unusual circumstances when competing against men in general?
1: For me, I've never experienced anything when I was playing a guy and they made a comment directly at me where I was like, wow, that is really inconsiderate. Growing up, I've played a ton with my brother and he's two years older and he was a squash player as well. And so him being a guy and also my older brother, he's probably the only person that comes to mind where he would make really horrendous comments and call me names and try and pull out every stop in the book to just do whatever he can to win and beat me. But that's Mm -hmm. also because he's my older brother. I mean... (laughs) But I've played guys where they'll make comments to their guy friends saying like, "Oh yeah, I can totally beat Amanda because of the fact that I'm a girl." And you'll have that sort of locker room talk where it's like, "Yeah, I can take her," and then I won't say anything, but I'll I'll just let my squash do the talking.
0: Yeah, it sounds like that's the the best approach. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly.
0: So then what do you think some of the big discrepancies are between female and male squash players?
1: Well, there isn't for squash, it's there's not much difference just the fact that the men are physically a lot stronger, but every it's really equal in a sport in the sense that the women we train just as hard as the men and you know, we're best 3 out of 5 squash is played equally between men and women, so we're both playing uh, best three out of five to 11 scoring point rally scoring. We both have the same tin height. And so there isn't much that's going to differentiate between the female and male squash players, apart from just the fact that the men are physically a lot, they're a lot stronger. And just that's the way that their bodies are made of like the women. We don't have the same strength and physicality as the men. And what some men might take that as, as women being less than. But, you know, it's not something we can control the fact that we're not physically built the same way as the men. But that doesn't mean that our training is any less than what the men are doing. We train just as hard. You know, we'll train the same as the men. We might have to train a little bit differently, or we might not be able to squat the same weight or do as many reps as the men, but, you know, we're both, we're both training just as hard. And so there really isn't much that's separating us that stands out, except for the fact that just our bodies aren't made the same way.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. So then what do you think are some of the biggest challenges that you see female athletes face either, you know, in squash or maybe just in sports in general?
1: I think you see it a little bit in squash squash is a uh, doing a really great job on trying to make the men and women equal and have an equal platform for the men and women. But you definitely see this in other sports where just the females are struggling to get the same equality as men, whether it's in pay or getting their voices heard or showcasing the women the same way that they do for the men or getting the visibility for the women, the same as the men. And With squash, it has gotten so much better over, so much better over the years, but we still are struggling to just make sure that we're getting our voices heard. And it is almost that, like, you have to speak up for yourself in order to be heard and in order to get the same amount of tournaments or in order to get more tournaments for the women and to be able to get prime time viewing slot instead of just the men always put on the prime times and to make sure that we're getting equal pay and the same amount of prize money too. And I think squash is doing a really, really good job in highlighting that and pushing for that.
0: Yeah, definitely. And you actually were recently you know, quoted talking about how the Professional Squash Association giving equal prize money to men and women at world championships in Chicago is a huge step forward. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? And do you think that will carry over in other sports?
1: I really hope so. It will carry. I really hope it will carry over to other sports. I mean, I was just reading about the US women's national soccer team and how they're fighting to get equal pay. And I think that's ridiculous, especially because they've been doing way better than the US men's <laughs> um, national team and they deserve it. they're not doing anything less than the men and it' it sucks to kind of see that in so many sports and I feel really fortunate that I'm part of a sport and an association that values the women and sees the value in the women being equal to the men and in order for the sport to grow, they need to push the men and women equally side by side and promoting them equally. I feel really fortunate that PSA has that vision, especially in U.S. Squash, too. I mean, U.S. Squash was one of the first organizations they put on the first major event. So the U.S. Open was the first major event where they had equal prize money for the men and women. And since then, you had other tournaments started starting to follow suit. So the Windy City Open in Chicago followed suit with equal prize money. And then you had tournament of champions. So all the major events in the U S were equal prize money between the men and women. And then slowly you're starting to get the majors overseas. Overseas can be tougher because of the different cultures. They might see the men as just far more superior than the women. But, you know, I think PSA is doing a really good job of trying to have that kind of value And say, listen, like in order to put a major event on, you have to have the men and women uh, equal prize money. And the fact that we just had the world championships, where it's the biggest ever prize money pool of a total of a million dollars that's split equally between the men and women held in the US, just kind of shows how far our sport has grown and that we're heading in the right direction. And I think that they've just set the bar up so high that now It will look bad if you have any other tournament that's saying, "Oh no, we just want to have the men a hundred k total prize money and the women out of fifty k," or if no, we just want to have a men's tournament. It will look really bad for other associations or promoters if they're just saying, "No, we don't really care about the women."
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it sounds like a lot of this is in control of these different associations, whether it's PSA or associations for other sports and. You know, obviously, they can they can change a lot by doing things like having equal prize money um, or giving equal prime time slots. But you know, I'm curious what you think men themselves and the male athletes can be doing to be better allies for women in athletics.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's tough because you see this in squash still. You have some of the men that see the value in the women and the need to promote the women in order for the sport to grow, but you still have some guys that just see themselves as superior to the women and that they train harder and that their matches are tougher than the women's matches, and so therefore they should be getting more prize money from that. And I think if we had a majority of the guys speaking up on behalf of, of us and supporting us as well then and seeing the value in the fact that like we need to be going hand in hand to promote this sport and get it to grow and get the visibility out there and inc- increase the prize money. Cause in this day and age, it's a lot of it is promoting the women. Like it's promoting female sports. That's kind of how it is female athletes. And in order for sports to grow and get that visibility, you need to, be promoting the women just as much as the men and i think that the women squash players were were doing a good job of speaking up now and getting our voices heard but it would be really really helpful if we had more guys on the tour supporting us and backing us as well instead of just kind of us always having to fight for ourselves
0: definitely i think having more allies is always really important in in making change so you know, hopefully some of them hear that and hear this and can and can really step up and and support the women more so I want to jump topics a little bit and and put the focus back on you you know I want to hear a little bit more about who some of your mentors are and have been and and maybe any role models that you have
1: yeah, absolutely I mean, so they're my mentor at the moment, my mentor and role model is. My mentor would probably be my coach, Thierry Lincoux. I've been working with him since I was a junior at Harvard. He came over from France to the US to work with a family. And, and within the first year, the girl quit squash. So he was kind of in Boston. And I was struggling to find somebody to work with that could help me with that next level and just training with the the team just wasn't cutting it. Only because I grew up playing at such a high level that I just felt the college squash level wasn't up to my standards, and I needed something more. And mm-hmm. so, my father approached the area and said, "Hey, would you be willing to work with Amanda?" And so I started working with him a couple of days a week, and I absolutely loved it. I loved kind of his approach to to teaching and squash and all of the knowledge he had and his strengths in the game, which was just like being really explosive around the T, which is kind of our central location when we're standing on a squash court and his movement and being really strong and powerful and balling was kind of my strength as well. And he was a very good mover, which was, which was my weakness. And so he's helped me out a ton with that. And I loved working with him and I've seen so many coaches before I've, Growing up, I went to it, worked with a ton of different coaches, and he by far, I loved working with him the most. And so I decided when I was graduating, I wanted to stay in Boston and continue working with him. And, you know, that's how I I stayed in Boston. And since then, I've been learning so much from him. And even in all these sessions now, because it it can get very redundant when you just keep working with a coach, you can kind of just be going through the motions. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm still learning so much and every session has a purpose with him. And he really, he invests so much emotion and care into having me succeed that I think values him a ton as such a a mentor. And the fact that he, he played on the tour as well and got to world number one and world champion. There's so much you can learn from him. So he's been a huge mentor. Role models growing up, um, tennis was my first sport I love the Williams sisters, and I had a picture of Serena and Venus um, on my bedroom wall, and they were kind of my—they were definitely my role models growing up. And back then, I didn't even know what squash was, and so I just wanted to be a tennis player. But even now, when I don't play tennis anymore and I play squash, but just the fact that the Williams sisters—they've kind of—they paved the way for. Women's sports and they're they're huge role models for for females out there, and just shows that like hard work and grit and determination and not being afraid to stand up for what you believe in and and voice your opinion Mm, goes a long way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Did part of that um, have to do with the fact that you have a sister who you are also competitive with? Absolutely. Um, (laughs) Yeah.
1: So my younger sister Sabrina, we often get referred to as the Venus and Serena. Williams of squash. And I haven't just everyone keeps asking us who which one we are. Um, (laughs) I don't really know, to be honest. Uh, But you know, it's it's amazing to be referred to that. And I actually a year ago, I had the chance of going to a tennis event that both Venus and Serena were playing in and I got to meet them and I brought the oh, article wow. I brought the article that is titled uh, Meet the Venus and Serena of Squash and I was fangirling so hard and I was so <laughs> nervous and I went up to them and I had the article and I was like hi I was like my name's Amanda like we've I've been referred to you my sister and I've been referred to you as the Venus and Serena of Squash I was like do you they wrote an article about us I was like do you mind signing this and they were like wow this is really cool um, That's awesome yeah, and I was I was so happy. That made my like little little seven year old self very very happy.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> so actually, I think I just learned. You know, two years ago today, you suffered a major injury. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that and what it was like? I mean, you were doing really well at the time, and and what has motivated you to sort of fight back after that?
1: Yeah. So oddly enough, exactly two years ago from today, I ruptured my Achilles while I was competing in a tournament in Colombia in South America. And at that point, it was my second full season on tour. Since I graduated, I was at a career high of number six in the world. I was playing in... uh, Yeah, I was playing in this... um, pretty large tournament in Colombia where they set up a glass court on top of this mountain in Colombia where this grandeur like Santissimo statue and it overlooked the city and it was beautiful beautiful setting and I was the number one seed of this tournament and had I won it probably would have gotten me really really close if not into the top five which would have been huge yeah and I was feeling really good. I went through my first few rounds playing well. I was in the semifinals and I was playing against my U.S. teammate, and the number two U.S. player, Olivia Blatchford. And I was two love, 10-5, match ball up. I needed one point to win and I ruptured my Achilles. Oh, Yeah. And I... As soon as it happened, I knew right away because it feels the way everybody describes it. It feels like someone kind of kicks you in the back of the leg. And I stepped back to push off to go forward to the front of the court. And I just fell flat on my face. And I thought that she hit me. And I kind of was laying on the floor. And I was like, did you hit me? And she's like, no, I didn't touch you. And I knew right away. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I just ruptured my Achilles. And here I am like crying. Olivia's crying. Like people have no idea what's going on. Everyone thinks that I just slipped. And here I I can't move. And I'm in this foreign country where no one really speaks English. I don't know about health insurance. I don't know like what I'm supposed to do. And I'm on top of this mountain. And I need to get off of this mountain somehow. (laughs) And the way to get off of this mountain is you either take an eight-minute cable car ride up which I wasn't going to fit in on a stretcher, or you drive down this windy mountainy dirt road. And so they put me in an ambulance. I was there pretty much strapped in by myself um, with the Colombian medics. They gave me like a big old painkiller shot. Fortunately, the COO of PSA, Lee Beach Hill, he came in, he was there. So he came in the ambulance with me. But that's good. I was just kind of there in shock, being like, what just happened? Like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I just ruptured my Achilles. And normally it takes about ten minutes to get down this mountain. But since it was raining the previous days and like there's tons of potholes and everything and it's just dirt, it took an hour. And it was the longest car ride of my <laughs> life. And I'm just <laughs> death gripping like yeah, the side of terrifying. the ambulance. <laughs> yeah. So that was an experience in itself and <laughs> it was it was kind of the okay I just ruptured my Achilles like now what this is this yeah. is a huge kind of just blow to my the momentum that my career was having and I flew back 2 days later to New York by then my mom is like Emailed every person possible, called people, had my like surgeon already in place. And so everybody kind of knew what happened. And when I got home, it was, it was okay. Like I need to now move on and, and figure out what I have to do in order to get back to competing again. And I got surgery in New York at hospital for special surgeries with Dr. Goodwin who's done a lot of other squash players, Achilles. And so after that, it took me 10 months until I was able to come back on the professional tour again. And it wow. was the toughest 10 months I could have ever imagined. Um, it just looking back at it, even though it's it's been two years now and looking back at it and I'm just like, I don't know how I survived that. It was, uh, there were just so many ups and downs. And even though people tell me all the time, like, you handled it so well, and I'm like, did I really? Like, uh, (laughs) like, I I don't know. Looking back, like, I don't think I can do this again. Like, I really just don't ever want that to happen ever again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And what sort of like kind of kept you going forward and, and got you, you know, excited to get back on tour?
1: I think it was that perseverance of I wanna show people that I'm not gonna get knocked down because of a career threatening injury and then I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna come back stronger. And I'm gonna show everybody and I'm gonna show myself that you can come back stronger from an injury and you can overcome adversity and hardship and struggles and that makes you stronger and you can you can succeed from it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So aside from injury, what what else has been sort of your greatest obstacle so far in your career?
1: I think it was a tough one was when I was at Harvard and it was trying to balance being a college student, a college athlete, and also playing on the professional tour as well because at that point... I wanted to continue playing in professional tournaments so I was competing in tournaments as an amateur just for the love of the game and for also to keep up my ranking because I knew that when I graduated I wanted to play full time. So mm-hmm. it was really hard to kind of balance the academics, the athletics, the social life and and then also playing on the pro tour as well and going off to play in tournaments and all of that kind of I just sometimes I felt majority of the time I just felt like I was hanging on by a thread and I was Mm -hmm. like just make it through a day just make it through today like and by the end of it I felt like I really got I got the hang of the management and just having a different perspective and being a bit more mindful of kind of okay I have so much work I need to do that's gonna have to take priority or I I have a little bit of a breather in terms of academics. Okay, I can I can train a bit harder in squash or I can't really do the same type of squash training I did when I was in high school. And so I'd have to tailor it and make sure that the sessions were quality-based instead of quantity-based. And that sometimes I wasn't able to train for an hour and 15 and I'd only get maybe 40 minutes, but like, let's just make sure that I'm getting the most out of these 40 minutes. And then if you go back, back to doing your academics. And I thought, and I think having to deal with all of that and like a very high stress, high pressured environment taught me a lot of just kind of being able to overcome all of that and make it out alive. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. And by the time I graduated, I was at my highest career ranking at the time of number 10. So It was a slow build, but before I went to college, it was that stigma of, oh, if you go to university in the US, then you're not going to be able to make it on the pro tour and your squash is going to drop. And so I also, me being the stubborn human being that I am, I want (laughs) to prove to people that like, no, you can do both. And I was one of the few people that did that, as well as another guy, Ali Farag, who's doing way better. Exceeding every everything, and he's now the world number one. He was at Harvard as well, and he was a year above me. And now he's the world number one in the men's wow. on the men's tour, and just won the world championship. So he's doing amazing. But yeah, so since then, like you see, so many other players, whether they're American or foreigners, kind of coming to the coming to the U.S. for university and then going pro afterwards.
0: That's awesome, and it, it sounds like you definitely like showed people that that was possible, and that that's okay to you know get your education while playing professional squash, and then you know still be successful in in both areas. So that's awesome.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, once you graduate college, you're 22, which is young. Yeah, <laughs> you, you can play. It. You can play until your mid 30s, and so I mean, if you start at 18 or 17. Oh my God, by the time you're going to be 24, you're going to be burnt out. And like, yeah. here I am finally getting on tour at 22, like ready to go. And then obviously I got injured. And so I was out for 10 months. And so now here we go, my second full season at 25. and <laughs> And so, but I still have a lot of time left. So it's, I mean, you can do both.
0: Definitely. So what sort of advice do you want to pass on to other people who may be facing challenges that you've already overcome, whether we've talked about them or maybe any new ones.
1: I think it's, it's just, I know that cliche statement of trust the process or trust the journey, or it's about the journey, not the end result. And when I was injured, that drove me insane because I was getting (laughs) so mad about like, what process, like, I can't do this. Like, this is not, I'm not excelling and everything. And my coaches are just like, you have to just trust the process. And I was like, what is this process? Like, this is (laughs) annoying me. (laughs) But it is that kind of those little goals that you can achieve in the small attainable goals, instead of just thinking about the end result of, oh, I want to be world number one, or I want to be world champion, or like, I want to be the executive of this company or CEO, or I want to start my own company and be successful. I mean, if you look at that end result, it just seems so far away that it's really intimidating. You're like, I can't do this. Like, oh my God, I'm in such a slump right now. There's no chance I'm ever going to make this. And I think it's just kind of trusting that process and enjoying the journey, whether it's the good or the bad or the struggles, and just to keep working hard because little by little, you're whether you're succeeding or failing, there's a purpose to everything. And the losses kind of teach you the most or the failures do. And that helps set you up for when you get that opportunity again, to learn from it, and hopefully, change it around to succeed the next time around. And you know, for me, with squash, currently, I'm in this Annoying period of time where I've been hitting the top, like the top three best players, two out of the three best players in the world at the moment in the round of sixteen. Since my ranking is still kind of working its way back up since my injury, so I've been hitting the top. I can hit anyone in the top eight in the round of sixteen, but I I've been hitting number two and three in the world in, (laughs) in all of the major tournaments. I would say. Every single one of them, except for one tournament, I've hit both those players, and majority of the time I've lost in five. I've once I won one of them in five, but other than that, I've lost in five, and they're really close matches, and each time gets closer and closer. But it's just to the point where I want to just like bash my head into the wall, being like, <laughs> "This is so frustrating," and it, it's kind of even though it can be really dejecting and just frustrating where you can almost give up and like say, Oh, I can't be these players or, Oh, why is my life like sucking at the moment? It's you take those, what you can learn from those losses and, and grow from it. And I think that's kind of what uh, most people need to see, even though it, it can be really, really tough at times. Definitely. So
0: to sort of shift and and think about some of the maybe less challenging and hopefully well, probably challenging to get there, but <laughs> <laughs> but some of the more exciting moments, you know, can you tell me a little bit about like what you feel the greatest sort of accomplishment you've had in your career so far is?
1: There there are a few that stand out. They're not the most um of like winning events, but it's it's almost of like I've achieved this and it's a massive achievement for me. So the fact Mm -hmm. that I graduated Harvard with and finished college squash with an undefeated season, Mm -hmm. having won four individual titles and four individual national titles, and I finished my college season with an undefeated record of 62 and 0.
0: Wow. And
1: I lost only, I mean, you're a squash player, so you know, so I lost (laughs) I lost two games throughout my entire college squash career. So if it's best three out of five, I've won all of them three love, except for two matches. I won three, one. And awesome. And there I'm going through college squash. There's a massive bullseye on my back and it's just kind of coping with that pressure and having to deal with that and overcome it. And I think, when i finished that last college squash match and it was one of my worst performances i think <laughs> but uh, the like relief i had of just like oh my goodness i can't believe like i made through 4 years of college squash and being able to do that and now i could kind of be a f- professional and say hey i'm i'm done with my college squash career and this and i finished it undefeated and won for national individual titles, which made me the second female ever to do so. So it was a huge accomplishment for me. And then in terms of the pro tour, I think having my first breakthrough on the pro tour, where I made my first major final at the this major event called the Tournament of Champions, which is held in Grand Central Station every January, they set up a glass court there. And it's an unbelievable setting. It's one of it's my favorite tournament by far, especially because I've grown up in in New York, and so my first full season when I graduated, so in January 2016, I was ranked number ten and needed that breakthrough, and I could feel it coming, and I finally broke through and I made it to the finals. I took out the number one seed, and I took out other players in the top ten, and I made it to the finals. I unfortunately lost to the finals. But it was just an unbelievable feeling of kind of being at that grand like stage and and level and and being in front of an amazing audience that's like the home crowd too. And and it was just such an awesome atmosphere. And it was almost my my like, okay, hey, I've, I've arrived. I can definitely compete with the best players in the world and I can be one of them. Yeah. So I'd say those two, those two stand out. And then another accomplishment, that's not so much squash it is squash related, but just the fact that I was able to come back from my Achilles rupture, that that's a massive accomplishment for me. <laughs> only Definitely. Because, only because gosh, that's like, one of the most brutal rehab processes on the planet. And all, just thinking back of everything I had to go through, it was just really emotional getting back to competing again, which was ironically also my first tournament back was the Tournament of Champions as well in 2018. Was that strategic? It Well, I wanted to come back for the World Championships, which was in December, and that that was in Manchester. And so that was nine months. And when I first ruptured my Achilles, me being the naive human being that I am, I <laughs> thought like, oh yeah, like it's only going to be nine months. I'll 100% be back like match fitness, squash fitness by nine months. <laughs> so <sorry. laughs> it w- it wasn't until maybe like six months that I started to be able to properly like do squash rehab stuff mm-hmm. and squash specific movements and everything and that took months and so I was nowhere near ready by nine months and then I was like okay you know I've been out for not I was super gutted not to have made it because I I wanted to like prove to everybody that yes you can come back in nine months but I needed extra time and it wasn't worth trying to risk coming back too early and potentially injuring myself again or injuring something else so I was like okay been out for nine months what's another month gonna do to me like I'll survive Mm -hmm. so the next tournament was a tournament of champions I was like this is perfect you know what I'll make my debut in my like home home state and in front of this amazing audience in my favorite tournament and you know let's just let's just have fun with it so I had a whole slogan and hyped it up my slogan was fear of the chicken leg because of the <laughs> atrophy in my left leg was just so horrendous and still my left leg is smaller than my right. Oh, um That's yeah, a great so slogan I, though. <laughs> so I just called it my chicken leg. And like my mom had towels made and like she got rubber chickens and like handed it out to people and the in the <laughs> stand. So we just had fun with it. But it was like it was a really emotional time and it was just kind of the fact that like, wow, I can't believe I'm back competing again.
0: Yeah, that must have felt awesome. Mm -hmm. And I can definitely say for one, I am very excited to sort of keep hearing and reading about what you continue to accomplish. So that's all awesome. Thank you. And I'm curious, you know, do you have like, have you started thinking about any plans after professional squash? Do you want to stay in squash in the squash world? Or are you interested in trying something new after?
1: Yeah, I mean, the good thing about getting injured was it it does make you think about long term because you see the other side of being a professional athlete of like, hey, I get injured and like, oh, there goes my like, well of money making is dried up (laughs) immediately. So like, I need to be able to figure out what I want to do to just gain additional income or set myself up for when I do retire, or if something else happens, you know, if I get injured again. And so I've grown to really love the marketing aspect of squash and trying to find ways to get the sport visible and get new eyes to see the sport and, you know, grow the exposure and grow the game. And, and that's something that I am really passionate about just because I think squash is such an amazing game. And the fact that, you know, not, not many people know about it, especially in the U S and if we can get more events marketed where you just kind of sell this experience of this is an awesome sport and you get new eyes to see it and that you make it more accessible and you get more, juniors and girls playing into it and you know you can like grow the sport where hopefully it gets on tv and it can be seen where you know when you're walking down the street people know what squash is instead of saying like oh you play racquetball if i'm like (laughs) if i have my bag with rackets out they're like oh yeah are you going to play tennis and i'm like no it's squash (laughs) And they're like, what's that? And then you have to go through this whole explanation. And so I just want to be able to help grow the game as much as I can, whether it's developing the next generation of juniors or helping market the sport. And so I think I, I love squash too much. And it's too much of a big part of my life to just kind of do something outside of it. But definitely to find ways to continue to grow the game and market the game is is something that i w- i want to do when i'm when i'm done playing
0: yeah and i think also it seems like sponsorships are really starting to help out a lot with that who
1: are you sponsored by right now yeah so sponsorships are a huge help whether it's in tournaments or just for players in general because we don't have the same visibility or prize money that you have in, say, tennis. So we rely heavily on sponsorships. And Mm -hmm. so right now I'm sponsored by Head Rackets, which is a new sponsor. So that started in January. So that's been going well. And then I'm sponsored by members at the University Club in Boston helped me out uh, a lot I, I'm also the assistant coach at MIT, so I'm Thierry, Thierry's assistant, so they just have a men's squash team, but I'm the assistant there, and I've grown to love being on the other side of the glass and coaching, so it is a it's a part-time job, and even though my priority is being a professional, when I'm in Boston and I'm around, then I'm with the team at their practices, or Um, at their matches and it's been it's been a ton of fun and I just finished my second season with them so I've absolutely loved it and love kind of that coaching aspect and it's helped me out a ton as a player uh, as well just to kind of see the other side but so I have some money from there and then also I'm sponsored by a a club out on the West coast called squash zone. It's a new club. That's a few years old. It's out in Redwood city. So just outside of in the Bay area of San Francisco. And so I'm sponsored by that club and I'll go do a a clinic and exhibition there every year before the net suite open. So that's a really good partnership. And then also us squash has been a major, a major help in terms of funding us professional athletes, us U.S. athletes. And, you know, they've done a huge job of just getting funding for us and helping us where we don't have to be searching the odd jobs or having to coach in addition to being a professional. And that we, they're supplying us with the funding where we can just be able to focus solely on being a professional which I think is huge. And U.S. Squash is one of the best fundings, in my opinion, out of a lot of the organizations. So it's been really, really helpful. And I can't thank them enough. And then I get, I'm sponsored by New York Athletic Club as well as one of their sponsored athletes. So whenever I'm in New York, I get some, that's a base club for me, which is is great because sometimes I'll be in New York to train and in and out or whenever I'm home. So it works out.
0: It sounds like mm-hmm. you have a very great team. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and then actually my newest sponsor, one of my newest sponsors is my sock sponsor. It's called <laughs> Orphix. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It sounds funny because you're like socks, really? Um, <laughs> no, I love that. Yeah. But it's called Orfix, and they're a startup and you know they're trying to branch out they produce perf- high performance socks and they're trying to branch out into the rackets market and especially squash and so they're the most comfortable socks i've ever worn and i'm not saying this only because i'm sponsored by them but i've literally <laughs> thrown out every single other sock that i've had and my drawer is just overflowing with orfix and it's i like to say it's like when you know at christmas or holiday time when your parents give you socks but like this time, you're actually excited to get socks. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So they're super comfortable. And like, I'm really excited to be uh, partnered up with them because, you know, it's always great to see kind of a startup happen and see them succeed. And I want to help them get into the squash market. And so the more squash players I see wearing Orfix, the happier I am. <laughs>
0: But that is awesome. And it like I said, it sounds like you have a really awesome team. So is there anything else you kinda want to say? Is any any final words?
1: <laughs> um, you know, I think that that pretty much covers it. I think something I always like to add is the fact that catches people by surprise is the fact that I was a multi sport player when I was younger and squash was one of the last sports I picked up. So growing up I played every single sport other than squash, and I didn't pick up squash till I was about 11. And many people are like, what? Like, you didn't start when you were six? And I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, I played every other sport. And they're like, what do you mean every other sport? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, like I played tennis, I played soccer, or lacrosse, basketball, baseball, volleyball, and, and played squash as well. And, you know, he, it doesn't have to be – throwing your kid into one single sport when they're six years old. And I think that kind of increases the chance for them to get burnt out. Definitely. And, and so I'm a huge advocate for playing many sports when you're a kid. And I think that playing a bunch of sports gives you so much value and like gives you all these different tools between like having to use a racket or kick a ball or run or something. And they all they all help out. So I I would encourage anybody that has a kid to just put them in many, many different sports and activities to just figure out what they like. In the end, I chose squash because I loved it. It wasn't because my parents kind of said, Okay, this is great for you to get into college, or, you know, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be a squash player, I'm going to put you with a bunch of coaches, it was more driven by me. And, This is why I wanted to go pro because I loved it. And I think that's something that sometimes gets overlooked a bit.
0: Definitely. I think that's a very important message. (laughs) (laughs) And I hope lots of parents listen and hear that. Because, yeah, it seems like it just it made you an all around great athlete. And that when you picked your sport, you know, that all of that training you had done in other sports was going to carry over and help you excel in whichever one you chose. So I think that's awesome.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Appreciate it. (laughs) And then,
0: you know, I just want to give a quick shout out to a squash friend, BG Lemon, for helping me with a few of these questions. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's awesome. (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) Yeah. And so, yeah. Thank you so much, Amanda. I really appreciate it. This was awesome. And I am very excited for everyone to listen.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us on Boss Ladies today, Amanda.
0: We can't wait to watch what you accomplish next. Check back soon for another episode of Boss Ladies.